Hello and welcome to the Victory and Labang podcast. You're listening to a message from our preaching series, Hope Has Come. Together, we'll discover what the birth of Jesus means for us, the time and the reason for His coming. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Uh, first, well, first day of the Advent. Uh, it's almost Christmas, 24 days till Christmas. Amen. And so, how many of you are excited about Christmas? I hope you do. You've been excited since September 1st. And <laughs> we've been celebrating Christmas for the longest time. I think we're, yeah, the longest celebrating nation in the whole wide universe. Anyway, uh, so we are on our first installment of Hope Has Come. And uh, as I said, the first day of Advent, uh, December 1st, I was actually uh, reading one of our you know, one of our small group members posting, uh, you know, a suggestion that, you know, in case you want a devotional thing that you want to do with your family, go ahead and do Luke chapter, Luke, uh, the whole book of Luke for the next 24 days, 24 chapters, and you have gone through the story of Christ. What a wonderful suggestion uh, for us to be able to focus in on who this uh, Messiah that we are worshiping, hope has Come. Everybody say, hope has come. And when you, you talk about hope, hope is something to do with the future. You know, you're hoping for something. You know, when, you know, I hope that I would be able to accomplish this, or I hope that I'd be able to achieve this, or I hope that my family will be this. It's normally something to do with the future. But what we're looking at is that thing that happened in the past, the hope that the whole world was waiting for happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And I do know and I believe that you know what I'm talking about. Okay? And this is why we celebrate Christmas. You've probably heard of this statement, Jesus is the reason for the season. Sometimes it, became, uh, it becomes a cliche already uh, because you just say it just for the sake of saying it, you know. But why is Jesus the reason for the season, really? You know, if, if you come to think of it, why is He the reason? Why are we celebrating Christmas? You know, we're excited to do that because, you know, Christmas really is joy to the world. It is more than just silent night. Christmas is traffic. It's Christmas lights. It's gifts. It's Noche Buena. It's... Uh, Family gathering, it's the cholesterol here, body. Uh, lechon, it's, it's doing things with the people that you love. And that's great. You know, in, in fact, some of us have become more, uh, I guess, creative. You know, like there are songs being sung not really related to Christ. Like, you know, all I want, one for Christmas is my two for whatever. I saw my making class, or you know, uh, or I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, or Frosty the Snowman, and Olaf and all. Okay, so we we have all these things about the holidays, but really, why are we celebrating this season? Why are we here in the first place anyway? Why why all this fuzz about Christmas? Why all the traffic? Why the, you know, why the merrymaking? Why the, the, you know, the trimmings of the Christmas tree? Why the Christmas lights? Why do you have to line up in the mall? Why do you have to, you know, you know spend your 13th month pay or bonuses to bless the people that you love? Why are we doing this? 
you know, basically we see, I guess, two reasons that are prevailing. You know, we've, we've gotten into a really commercialized form of Christmas. Nowadays, we see that there's, well, one motivation is like greed. They want something that they desire to have. You know, they're motivated to have the latest gadget or whatever. They're praying for something. You know, Christmas is that thing that, okay, Christmas comes, I'm going to get this. Or maybe Christmas is really having so much stress over, you know, getting the things that they need to do because they want to just be a blessing to others. And if you ask people about what they think of Christmas, you'd hear words, you know, Christmas is about Love. How many of you know that that is a nice answer? Christmas is about family. Christmas is about gift giving. Christmas is about joy being shared. Christmas is about being together. But sometimes we hear these nice phrases or these nice words, but we fail to hear that Christmas is really about Christ. In fact, some of the companies nowadays are changing their, you know, packaging from Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays. Kind of like removing Christ in the whole celebration of this thing. My question for us today is, whose birth is it really? I mean, what, what, what are we celebrating Christmas for? December 25 is the big day. We know that that is the birth of our Savior King Jesus Christ, don't we? But, you know, of course, some people will say that that's not the real birthday of Christ. They're targeting, you know, maybe the birthday of Christ, because that's winter, maybe sometime between March and May. But, you know, we're not talking about finding the real date, but we're asking, whose birthday are we celebrating anyway? And when you talk about birthdays, you know, like national holidays, don't we have national heroes whose birthdays we're celebrating you know, like yesterday, what was the day yesterday, November 30? Bonifacio Day. That's like the birthday of Andres Bonifacio. I think December 30 is Rizal Day. I think there's even a day of like Anino Aquino Day or whatever. So you have different kinds of days and holidays. What's the difference of celebrating the birthday of Bonifacio and celebrating the birthday of Christ? Let me just submit to you today that when you talk about Christmas, it's more than just celebrating the birthday of someone who came who's God because there's probably a deeper reason why we're celebrating Christmas, isn't it? What's all this fuss about the celebrating birthday? You know, is there, is there a, a real reason? Is there a deeper reason why we can actually say, Lord, thank you so much that you came, you stepped out of heaven and walked into humanity, became a human like us. That's the reason why we can celebrate Christmas. And today we're going to be looking at just two verses from the book of Galatians. Not your normal Christmas verses. Like I know that when you talk about Christmas, it's normally Matthew, like the account of Luke. Uh, but today we're going to look at the writings of the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, please open it to Galatians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 4 to verse 5. Since we're just reading two verses uh, I want to invite everybody to read along with me. All right? Ready? One, two, three. Verse four. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, if you have not read the book of Galatians, I'd encourage you to read. It's a short read, uh, just six chapters. In fact, just reading through the book of Galatians gives you a better picture of why Paul is discussing all this. Uh, he was talking about salvation. He's talking, he was writing a letter to the Galatians and was proclaiming to them about the true gospel because there's a, you know, like a teaching that's coming out during that time, a teaching or a false gospel about them earning their salvation back to doing good works. And so he said that, be careful that you listen to the false gospel. And he, in fact, he said this, that if you hear a gospel other than the one we proclaim, let him be a curse. That's how much passionate he was in making sure that the people, Galatians, and I believe that the church today, we need to understand that when you talk about salvation, salvation is never about good works. Amen. Salvation is only achieved or received because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so he went on by talking about that we are not justified by observing the law. And then he reminded them of salvation being a gift of, of the Messiah. Then he went in the middle of the book in Galatians chapter 4 when he talked about the birth of Jesus. In all this presentation, he was talking about, you know, be careful here. You know, and, and in the final chapters, he's talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then in the middle of that, he was talking about the birth of Christ. And so this basically gives us an outline. These two verses gives you an outline of the whole series for the whole of December. And we're going to talk about today the doctrine of the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. How many of you are familiar with incarnation? It's not the brand of milk that you see in the grocery. I know that you're familiar with carnation or a flower. But incarnation comes from the Latin word encarne. To be flesh, to take on the form of humans. Okay? And so we're gonna talk about that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of what? A woman, born under the law. And next week we're gonna talk about redemption. Everybody say redemption. To redeem those who were under the law. Redemption talks about us formerly being slaves, who were redeemed, were freed. And then uh, third and final week, we're gonna talk about adoption. And this is the reason why we can actually celebrate Christmas. More than just the coming birth, the birth of the, of the king, we're really talking about the reason, the benefits of us as believers. That we're no longer aliens. We're no aliens. Aliens from the covenant, okay? Or strangers, if I may use the word strangers. But you are part of. Yes, you and I are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And God gave the covenant to Abraham, but yet because you are Abraham's seed by faith, we are partakers of the covenant and the promise of God. Hope has indeed come. Let's talk about the fullness of time. The fullness of time is one of the things that the Apostle Paul talked about. This gives you the idea of at the complete time. Why is it that Jesus arrived 2,000 years ago and not today? Not earlier. 
This was what the Apostle Paul was saying, that in the fullness of time, God chose that. In His sovereignty, He chose that particular date. It's a complete time. It's the right time with the emphasis about completeness. Full number. Full measure. The totality, the exactly at the right time. It was almost like a setup by God in human history that He, was, he felt like, this is it. You know how it is for those of you who are pregnant or you, you, for those of you who had babies, you know, how many of you know that there is a certain time for that baby to come out? And you cannot delay it, right? Even if you want to have 10 months of pregnancy, you cannot. It's bound to happen. There's a time that was a sign for things to happen. And in human history, you look at the richness of the different, you know, uh, figures like Abraham. You know, why didn't Jesus come during the time of Abraham, not, you know, during the time of Moses? You know, they needed a Messiah or a Redeemer, but God sent Moses instead of Jesus, so he didn't come there. You know, when it comes to the kings, okay, you've got David and then you've got, you know, uh, the, the, you know the split kingdom. Of course, you've got Solomon and the others. You've got the prophets, but yet, Jesus did not come during that time. It was during the time of Isaiah the prophet when he prophesied. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, a very familiar uh, verse, you know, uh, that the virgin shall, and this shall be the sign for us, that the virgin shall give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, and every time, that's the reason why we have in Christmas cards, we have this name, Emmanuel. So if your name is Emmanuel, you're very Christmassy, okay? And so, why is it the right time? And I believe that when you talk about time, how many of you know that God's timing is always perfect? Always the right time. I think the challenge for us in waiting for the right time is patience. It's that, it's a thing about waiting, it was the right time because during that uh, era when Jesus came here, there was one language. Everybody say one language. You know, m most of the people during that time, they were talking Greek. They have, you know, Greek as the common language. Koine, Koine Greek. You know, whether you're a Hebrew, you understand Greek. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like English today. You know, people would pick up this language because it's like, what Alexander the Great has set for everybody to speak. And then you've got one political government. The Roman Empire was the one ruling and reigning during that time. And they have what they call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They've established themselves as the ruling empire. And that everywhere you go throughout the Roman Empire, there's seemingly peace. Of course, that's like fabricated, okay? But yet it was ready. The whole setup, the whole stage was ready for the coming of the Messiah. And then you've got road system. Road system. That's the reason why we hear this phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Because they fixed this in, in order that the carriers of the news, the messengers would have like an easier access to the news that's going out. They didn't have internet during that time. They didn't have bandwidth. They didn't have those, but they have roads. And then they were ready. 
the, the Roman Empire was ready during that time. Road system. The world was ready. The stage was set. And I believe that that was a time that God chose in order for Jesus to come. My question for us today is, did Christmas just start 2,000 years ago? Or did it start a little bit before that? Did it start during the time when Isaiah spoke about 700 years before? Or maybe way before that? Let me just submit to you that Christmas actually started in the book of Genesis. That when God made a promise to deliver, and so he was asking, of course, the fall of man came and he was asking Adam, did you eat the fruit? And Adam pointed to Eve. Eve was asked, she pointed to the serpent. And this is where we see the blame game. And then the serpent has no one to point the finger to. And so God cursed all of them. But yet God spoke this Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And he said, I will put anything between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. He was talking about Christ. And you shall strike, a better translation, strike his heel. And this talks about Proto-Evangelion, the, the beginning phase of the gospel, talking about the coming of the Messiah during that time, that 4,000 years from now, from this date, at the fullness of time, Jesus will come. We talk about the fullness of time, and we know that God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? Last Tuesday, I was um, doing a staff devotional in the office. And every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., we would gather the whole staff, all the pastors, all the staff, campus missionaries, about 70 plus in all were there in the worship hall. We're just worshiping the Lord, committing the time to the Lord. And every Tuesday morning, we pray together, we share the word, and we worship together. We hear reports on what's happening in different departments in uh, Alabang, different locations. And so in the middle of the worship, I received a Viber message from one of my daughters. I was worshiping and I was kind of distracted, you know, because what's this? And so I checked the Viber message and I'm not going to mention the name of whose daughter. What's the name? But she said, Dad, can I borrow your credit card? Because I'm about to buy a ticket for next year. Ticket of Matilda, okay? For 2020. And so... She, she, she said, I have a limited time window wherein I can get this discount. And what she's saying is like, it's like the fullness of time. If I don't get it, dad, I'm going to pay the full amount for the ticket. But don't worry, dad, I'm going to pay you back. And I said, okay, uh, I can't talk to you because she was calling me actually. And I said, don't call me because I'm doing worship. And so she was texting me. She would not stop. Dad, I have a window. I said, okay, if I don't give in, I'm going to be bothered the whole time. And so I went back to the room, snapped my credit card picture, sent it to her via Viber, and I said, make sure you delete this after you use my credit card. And so she said, thanks, Dad. And... Later on, she, you know, like a few minutes after, can I buy four tickets, Dad? I said, what, what do you mean four tickets? Who, who are you buying for? So anyway, so we were like, I was texting back and forth, but you know, even ultimately she just got two tickets after that. And so she told me, thanks, Dad, you're the best. You know, I love you. So anyway, it's, that made my day. 
you know, and I didn't realize that kids nowadays can just get your credit card number, right? <laughs> so be careful. But in the fullness of time, she was talking about that this is the perfect time and she got it. She got the big discount and she's happy. She's ready to watch. But God in His sovereign will, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus for us. 2,000 years ago, hope has come. The world during that time was bleak. It was dark. You know, they were desperate for the Messiah. They were looking forward to this Savior who's going to come. For us Gentiles, we don't even know what's going to come. But it was kind of that promise that you have just been benefited from because para naanggihan ka sa grasya ng Diyos. But we're so grateful for that. God sent forth His Son. That's the next part. Not by chance, not man's plans. It was God's divine plan. And why did God send forth His Son? When you talk about His Son, this is no ordinary boy. You're talking about God Himself. You're talking about the second person in the Trinity. You're talking about the one who created the heavens and the earth. When God said, let us make man in our own image, He was talking Trinitarian talk. He was talking God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when the Apostle Paul was saying, God sent His Son. Send Him where? Stepping out of heaven and stepping into humanity and becoming a created being just like us is one of the greatest acts of love there is. I couldn't find the right analogy for this. It's like you are human and you become a dog. Something like that. I don't know. I can't, I can't find the right analogy for that. Or maybe a cockroach. I don't know. Because you know, you're talking about the God, the one who's perfect, eternal, the one who's got no birthdays. He was not created in the beginning. God. I mean, that's He was there already. And the one who was God, the one who created, sent Himself through His Son. And we see a very familiar text. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is Christmas. You know, when we talk about Christmas, Christmas is more than just singing Christmas carols. Christmas talks about our eternal destiny. Christmas talks about salvation. All the salvation of humanity is hinged on the doctrine of the incarnation. Without the incarnation, there's no salvation. Without the incarnation, there's no redemption. Without the incarnation, there's no adoption. Without the incarnation, we're not going to be alive today. That's how heavy this doctrine is. And how grateful we should be in appreciating the fact that the one who created you and me became like you and me. The one who made the Imago Day became the Imago Day. That's how it is. This is the definition of love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He what? Sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was a purpose for this baby. And that baby was not just to be decorated in our living room in the form of a nativity scene or a belen. But this baby grew up 
to be a man and eventually became the Lamb of God. And ultimately, he was sacrificed on the cross. That's the God that we serve. This is no ordinary child, by the way. That's why when you talk about the Christmas story, the Christmas story of Matthew is just so direct because he was talking about the nativity scene. He was talking about the appearance of the angel with Joseph. He was talking about the shepherds. He was talking about all these details. Luke also did the same thing, but not John. John started his Christmas story by going back to the very start. When you look at John's Christmas story, it's actually in the beginning was the word. That was John's Christmas story. And a very familiar text because in Genesis chapter 1, it's also talking about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who is this that he was talking about? Jesus. And he was with God in the beginning and through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Without Jesus, nothing will be created. That's why in 325 AD, there was a council called the Nicene Council. Or the Nicene Council. It was a meeting of all the bishops during that time, about 300 bishops all across the you know, a uh, known Christian world during that time. And two particular bishops went on head, head to head with a debate, debate trying to prove if Jesus was indeed the Son of God. One particular bishop called uh, Arius, or named Arius, he was a founder of the Arianism. He was presenting that since Jesus was created by God in the form of a human being, then he is no God at all. He is higher than human, but lesser than God. And so how can they worship him? That is a presentation of Arius, but not Athanasius. Athanasius, the, the, the bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, was talking about, no, Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself. He is co-equal, co-eternal, same substance, same origin. Same, except for the fact that he became human just like us. That's why John took the time to describe this. The, the, they, they, got, they got this from there. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. Not just a special person that God sent on earth. Jesus is God himself. Amen. And we, you know, even today where we see some cults that are saying that they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that He is the Son of God. And we need to be careful with that kind of teaching. Because the truth is, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Similar to what John was writing, for by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the baby on that manger. He even said in John chapter 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. Because Jesus is God, then He had the prerogative as well to forgive sins just like God. That's why after the big debate between Arius and Athanasius, 
they eventually ruled Arius out. They probably kicked him out of the council. And they made this Nicene Creed where the Apostles' Creed was based. And take note of this. We believe, this is what the Nicene Creed says. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through Him all things were made. It was a declaration. It was a very important statement to prove that Jesus is not just a created being, He is God Himself. Yet, one of the mysteries that we have really is that He was born of a woman. I mean, how can that add up? You know, if you're a mathematician, it doesn't add up. You're 100% God and 100% human. In fact, when Jesus was born, He did not diminish His divinity. It was intact. He is God there. You know, one of the things that I wonder is why He came as a baby. He could have actually came in like a Terminator, right? A big guy. You know? From heaven, you know, he just stepped in from eternity past and then boom, I'll be back. You know, something like, I, I, I was just imagining about what could have happened if Jesus just stepped here on earth and showed up, okay guys, I'm ready to die, rock and roll, you know. But you know what, he was patient. He had to take on the form of a baby. He had to be helpless. Philippians chapter 2 talks about he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but took the form of a servant. He was humble. And he humbled and debased himself to be a child, a baby. How many of you have had babies? You know, Those of us who are parents, we know that a baby is helpless. A baby depends on you for food, for changing clothes, changing diapers, and all. Yet this baby, what child is this? The one who created the entire universe is needing the mother to meet his needs at that time. 100% God, yet 100% human. That is the doctrine of the incarnation. What a mystery, what a beautiful picture of the reason why we celebrate Christmas. And this is the incarnation very quickly. She shall give birth to a son. You are to give the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place with what the Lord has said to the prophet. And we read this earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, which was quoted by Matthew. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to take note about giving birth to a son. You know, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. Children are born, but Jesus, the Son of God, is not born. He was given by the Father. And we need to take, to take note of that. But why would God make himself one of us? There's a song that came out, I don't know if it's in the 90s, What If God Was One of Us. 
you know, uh, somebody in the bus or something like that. I forgot the lyrics. But what if God was one of us? And you know what? He really became one of us. He really was one of us. He did not just come and went. He came and he stayed and he walked with his creation. First reason why he was one of us is because he wanted to relate with us. Relate with us. You know, I believe that it is so humbling for a God to be a man because God is a perfect being. God has no needs. And he stepped into a place wherein suddenly he had needs. How many of you had need, have needs today? Please raise your hand. You have needs. You're praying for something. You've got needs. You're going through situations. And I believe that that is the reason why he stepped in because he wanted to relate with us. Only by becoming a man could God experience our suffering. He went to that route and actually said, I'm going to be one of them. God becoming a man so that he knows your pain and he could actually experience hurt with you. He actually went through every emotion you can actually imagine. He felt abandonment. He was betrayed by friends. He experienced hunger. He experienced pain. He experienced loss of a loved one early on. We don't know what happened to his father Joseph, but it was silent already. It was only Mary who was present there in his ministry. So it was assumed, presumed that Joseph probably passed away when he was like a young boy. He was tempted in every way. Matthew chapter 4 talks about his temptation in the desert. How many of you have faced temptation? Please raise your hand. We face temptation and yet we sin, right? Jesus faced temptation and yet he was without sin. He knew what it was for him to lose a friend. He cried at the funeral of his best friend Lazarus and so on and so forth. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Why did Jesus have to become human like us? First is to relate with us. Second is to have a relationship with us. There was like a movement back in the 17th century. It's called the deism movement. And it's known to be a movement wherein God created everything. And after God created, he just stepped aside and watched from afar. And that somehow he was looking at all the humanity and all what they're doing on planet earth. And that is the reason why we have all these troubles. But how many of you know that God is never far away? God is always near to us. And that is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not deism. Christianity is theism. He is God who's near. He's God who's imminent. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. That's the very name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.vicaryalabang.church.